Humans have always kept their eyes on the stars. UFO sightings have a rich history dating back to over 1000 BCE when Egyptian pharaoh Thutmose III claimed to have seen fiery disks in the sky. However, such claims were few and far between until the 20th century which had about 150 sightings reported around the world. Us Americans jumped on the bandwagon by 1947 when a pilot alleged to have seen flying saucers over Washington state, but by then the rest of the world was already swept up with their own sightings. Over the following decades emerged books and journals devoted to analyzing unidentified flying objects. Alleged experts in the field gave lectures, held conferences, and published accounts legitimizing what many had considered a pseudoscience. Given all of these UFO sightings, it became merely a matter of time before one of these crafts landed, and when it did, it was sure to leave a mark. I'm Jason Potel, and you're listening to Snake Oil. The story starts in 1966 in Tully, a town in Queensland, Australia. Here's how Doug Bauer recalled it. I lived in Australia from 1958 to 66. And when I came home, during the time in Australia, there was a report in their newspapers of a circular depression in a grass field in Queensland. And they immediately called it a UFO nest. In other words, it was where a UFO had landed. Misguided by Martian mania, the Australian citizens identified the circles of flattened reeds and sugarcane fields as saucers' nests, or landing sites. While patterns appearing in crops have been recorded in the past, never had it drawn so much speculation and panic. What was most likely the work of local whirlwinds became undeniable proof of extraterrestrials not merely hovering around our planet, but arriving, occupying, perhaps even populating it. Seemingly overnight, the nest became the talk of the town, attracting the attention of every local, including Doug Bauer. An aspiring watercolor painter, Bauer was fascinated by the public's reaction of the spectacle and would remember it fondly even after leaving the continent to pursue his profession in England. I've always been a bit interested in UFOs and sightings and that sort of thing. In England, he would befriend David Chorley. I met David Chorley, and uh, he was also an artist. So we had a common interest there. And um, for the next few years, we um, used to go out on our Friday evenings to have a, a drink in the pub and talk about paintings. It was on one of these drunken outings in 1978 that Bauer and Chorley decided to take their drinks outside to find acres of untouched wheat all around them. Somewhere between his fourth and fifth mug of beer, Bauer remembered the Australian scandal that had occurred over a decade earlier. Uh, I said, told him about it, and I said, uh, be quite a good bit of fun if um, we we could devise some way of making a, a circular mark in the cornfields here, and uh, sort of arouse a bit of interest. Uh, people would think that a, a UFO had landed during the night when they discovered it the next morning. Equipped with just a five-foot iron bar, the two men embarked into the night. 
Just imagine all of Winchester's surprise when its residents awoke to find a massive circle pressed into the field with no explanation of its source. As it turns out, they didn't pay it much notice. After all, there were plenty of fields around the metropolis, and this one wasn't particularly noticeable once in city limits. Disappointed by the dud, they vowed to continue their trickery until it proved successful. And as any good con man knows, it takes one hoax to legitimize another. My goodness, it was certainly hard work. Um, but it was quite good fun because you were down below the height of the corn. And um, if a car was coming down the road and the headlights were surging towards you, we used to just to say, down we go and just wait for it to pass. But their work remained under the radar. For the first two years, our circles were, were not uh, seen at all, except, I suppose, by the uh, driver of the combine harvester, because we were doing them in fields that were the public couldn't see them from the road. It was at this point that Chorley considered cutting their losses, but Bauer reassured him that when it came to hoaxes, only one thing mattered. Location, location, location. So one night in 1980, they snuck onto a farm in a well-known valley colorfully called Cheesefoothead, or the Devil's Punch Bowl as the locals refer to it. Their technique had evolved over time into a method called plank walking, whereby one pushes down the crop with a plank suspended from two ropes. They also used a wire viewfinder to regulate the angle of their strides. Here's a clip of Bauer demonstrating the process. Well, this sight, you see, uh, this, this enables us to make a straight line in the, in the dark, or, or semi-darkness. It's never really dark in the summer months. Yeah. And if you, if you line up um, a telegraph pole or a cottage window, a bedroom window that's uh, lit up, you can walk straight towards it and create a straight line in the corn. And then you can tread this down with the, with the stick afterwards and um, create the corridors, as they call them, uh, before you do the circles. And that's all there is to it? That's all there is to it. Good evening. Tonight, we take a look at what's fast becoming one of the West Country's most intriguing mysteries. It's all about circles, rings of flattened crops that are appearing and then, in... A uh, mystery of modern times. And this is a crop circle. ...are still baffled over the mystery of corn circles in fields in southern England. Lo and behold, it was on the uh, television news the next night, and um, the, the news was rapidly spreading around that um, something was making these circular marks in the cornfields. And, of course, you know the story from then on. It uh, just grew and grew. And, of course, the more publicity we got with the media and... Uh, newspapers and things, uh, it egged us on even more. Seemingly overnight, crop circles became a universal indication for alien life. Reporters, photographers, scientists, nut jobs, and everyday pedestrians gathered to see the astonishing circle at the Devil's Punch Bowl. And now that they knew to be on the lookout, people were finding the dozens of crop circles Bauer and Chorley had left all over southern England. Over the following months, a new pseudoscience would form by the name of seriology, the investigative study of crop circles. Self-proclaimed specialists emerged, each offering detailed theories involving aliens, ghosts, and divine will. So we used to mingle and rub shoulders with them to listen to all the conversations as to get their uh, opinions as to what caused it, you see. And of course, David would be over about 10 yards away on one side of the group, and I'd be over here laughing. And um, then, of course, we got to know the researchers, you see. And um, 
I said to one researcher, I said, well, I'm a wildlife sound recorder, so I travel around quite a bit. I said, uh, if I spot any circles, would you like me to let you know? He said, I would. So I used to, after we did a circle, we used to ring him up in the morning and say there's one at so-and-so. Obviously, there were also those more rationally minded, who had enough logic to rule out supernatural causes, but not enough to identify the hoax, such as meteorologist Terence Meaden. Dr. Terence Meaden, who is a very clever man as far as weather is concerned, he, um, he really uh, got us because uh, he was saying it was uh, wind vortices, you see, and uh, that we didn't like that. It was one thing to blow the circles out of proportion, but to minimize them? No, they had put in far too much work to watch it all get rationalized. So to combat any logical conclusion, Bauer and Charlie began complicating the circles with patterns and designs to give it a more artificial aesthetic. They continued their project every Friday night over the next five years, making hundreds of circles that continued to perplex and baffle. Well, we, we, we were so secretive about all this, and... We, we realized when we started this that no one, no one must know what we were doing. And um, otherwise it was going to spoil everything completely. And uh, then we said to each other, well, what about our wives? And I said, well, the fact that we go out every Friday evening, um, they, won't, they won't be any the wiser. Because that was our usual thing, is to go out Friday evenings for a pint of beer. But in 1985, Bauer's wife, Ellen, began noticing their car's odometer was suspiciously high, considering the most mileage it got was from Bauer's Friday night trips to Percy Hobbs' pub. In the end, I just said to him, can you tell me what all the mileage is about? He then went over to his studio, brought back all the press cuttings, showed them to me. He said, well, that's what it's all about. I said, well, what does that prove to me? You mean you didn't believe him? What? Not just like that, no. I mean, newspaper cuttings could have been referred to anyone, couldn't they? So uh, he said, well, what do you want me to do to prove it to you? I said, I'll select a design, I'll select a field, and you can do it the next evening, and then you can take me and show me that you've done it. And this is what he had to do. Relieved and astounded by the next morning's find, she submitted her approval, permitting them to carry on with their hobby unhindered. But of course, it was nice then, because once she knew, although we were only going out Fridays and perhaps another night, well, once she knew about this, we could go out Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays, and we were doing more. That's when the circle started to increase. And as the crop circle spread, so did the culture surrounding it. The more lucrative fanatics began selling memorabilia, crop circle-themed tapestries, toys, and trinkets. And this bristled the watercolor painters. The weeks of labor they'd performed hadn't earned them a single penny, but had brought impressive profits to people who had nothing to do with it. But it was more than simply being cheated. Whereas they'd begun things to mock the gullible as a prank, others were exploiting the gullible to fill their own pockets, tainting the spirit of it all. Despite everything, however, they continued their work uninterrupted. By now, you're probably asking yourself, why? Why would anyone dedicate so much time and energy in tedious and anonymous work? But for Bauer and Shorley, being the seasoned countrymen they were, it was a labor of love. Give a listen to Dave's take on it. And when you get out one of these fields at midnight or two in the morning, we would ra I'd rather be out in one of these fields and have a week away in the south of France or something, because anyone that's not been in one at midnight in an English countryside with the moon up, and you're doing and a few beers and a couple of cheese rolls, absolutely wonderful. 
But the work got harder as they got older. By the 90s, increased surveillance had made it all but impossible to trespass in cornfields without getting caught. On top of that, the men were now entering their 70s and they just weren't as sly as they used to be. They'd also heard the government was planning to fund research into the circles, which just sounded like a crazy waste of money and trouble. So in September 1991, they decided enough was enough and finally told the press everything. Within hours, their name was in every headline and news program across the United Kingdom. Good evening. Experts are tonight divided over claims by two men from Hampshire that they're responsible for the South's famous crop circles. Dave Chorley and Doug Bauer say they created the strange patterns with nothing more than a wooden board and a length of rope. Nevertheless, they face some understandable skepticism. After all, how could two elderly watercolor painters be responsible for what's totaled up to over 1,000 crop circles? Die-hard seriologists who dedicated their lives to extraterrestrial encounters refused to consider the possibility that such formations could be executed by mere human beings. Here's pseudoscientist Pat Delgado, who published two books on the paranormal causes of crop circles prior to this exposure. I think it's impossible with the piece of equipment. They had a board and a rope, and, and like it was a horse they were riding, and... Um, I think the giveaway really is that when they put their, their foot on the board, the other, the other leg, with all their weight on it and the weight of the board, is obviously uh, on the crop that they've just pressed down. So it would be quite easy to trace their, their footsteps uh, because he couldn't hop along on one leg. So to prove their case, they enlisted the help of a local tabloid editor who witnessed them construct a circle before passing it off to be inspected by Pat Delgado, who dubbed it a genuine alien landing site. However, even after this, they continued to endure incessant inquiries and accusations. Even those willing to consider such an explanation felt robbed by anything short of the convoluted. Many insisted that it would have been impossible for them not to leave footprints unless they were stilts for the entire time, but the disappointing truth is they just watched where they stepped and any accidental tracks were stomped beyond recognition by the crowds of enthusiasts congregating in new circles to absorb their still fresh electromagnetic energy. Still hounded by non-believers two years after their initial confession, Dave and Doug hosted a Q&A in Nafferton Hall where they answered every ridiculous question lobbed at them, much to their audience's chagrin. There were crop samples taken from some of the formations that you claim to have made here. I don't know how many people have tried to bend a piece of wheat at this at the node. I think it's a good experiment to try to do. How did you manage to bend the stalks the at pressure, the nodes? The pressure of our stick was halfway up the stalks, not from the bottom. Doesn't matter where, you can take any node, you try to bend it, and you see what happens. It will never bend at the node. And then something unexpected happened that further complicated things. New crop circles began popping up. It seems that a number of copycats, inspired by Chorley and Bauer's work, decided to continue it in their retirement. 
This, of course, brought them even more backlash from Syriologists, citing subsequent sites as proof that this was not merely the act of two English painters. But there's also something truly wonderful about these contemporary formations. Even though Bauer and Chorley stopped their circle making in 1991 with Chorley dying six years later from cancer, their legacy lived on with the hundreds of imitators who took up the mantle. Crop circles maintained a place in pop culture long after they quit, as demonstrated by sci-fi hits like M. Night Shyamalan's Signs made over 10 years after their initial confession. Even decades later in 2020, we see new crop circles pop up all the time, with dozens appearing just in the last year, each offering a uniquely mesmerizing and ornate design. Alien hoaxes are a dime a dozen. Over the last 50 years, we've seen an impressive range of manifestations, from first-hand probing accounts to video documentation of alien autopsies. But still, there's something special about Bauer and Chorley's crop circles. Despite creating the circle that launched a thousand tourist traps, they personally generated no revenue from their work. So many times, con artists engineer hoaxes for self-serving means, like the Heaney family faking Balloon Boy to get famous, or P.T. Barnum exhibiting a mermaid for money, or Tanya Head pretending to have survived 9-11 for sympathy. But these two dedicated their time and talent to restoring mystique to the universe. Incentivized by their own whimsy, these painters came out night after night, week after week, year after year, to make rural England a more intriguing world. And honestly, is there any better way to spend one's time? Snake Oil is written and produced in New York City by me, Jason Potel. Editing and music by James Manton in Syracuse, New York. You can find more information on the story you just heard at snakeoilshow.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.